Hey there folks, welcome back to Classic Camera Revival, and today we have a good friend of the show back again. Yes, it's our very own mad scientist, Mr. Matt Betchberger. So we're going to roll the intro and get right into it. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. So, Matt, welcome back to Classic Camera Revival, and you have been incredibly busy since the last time you were on the show, which I believe was promoting your spot meter. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yep, that was the last time. Um, yeah, I'm always working to come up with new things and keep the ball rolling, so I've uh, I've been busy the last year or so. Or that, was, that might have been two years ago, actually, now, if I think. I think it was, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but now you, you actually have... A, a third light meter device that is um, just starting to filter onto the market. So tell us a little bit about the uh, the new incident meter you're producing. Yeah, so uh, basically um, the only light meter that was missing from my uh, lineup was uh, uh, an incident meter. Um, and the standard incident meter that you know, you've been able to buy for you know, 70, 80 years is sort of a, a flat plate with a uh, sensor on the front and either a dial or a screen once they became digital and a, uh, uh, you know, usually buttons on the side or buttons on the front to set the settings and, and trigger the meter. Um, and I didn't want to do something. I wanted to come up with something that was going to be a little more um, unique. I didn't want to just make uh, another of the same kind of meter just for the sake of, of doing that because you can still buy those meters used and new. Um, so I wanted something that was a little more interesting. So I gave it some thought. And what I came up with was an idea to um, try to minimize how much stuff you have around your neck that's getting in your way. Um, I thought, how can I um, sort of make it so that the meter is not something that you have to keep putting in and out of your pocket uh, or wear on your neck and have it get tangled with your camera strap or be swinging around um, out in the open. So the idea, my idea was what if it was strapped onto your hand so essentially you you wear the meter on the outside of your hand um, there's a elastic strap on the um what is the the user facing side of the meter and then um on the top of the meter uh, is where the um the the incident dome and the screen and the control um button are um so it's it's kind of like a like a brass knuckles kind of thing where it's it's on the outside of your hand primarily um, and what's nice about that is that because it's on the outside of your hand and the only part that's on the inside of your hand is the strap, uh, you can uh, use your camera. You can keep using your hand to operate your camera uh, and you don't have to actually hold onto the meter. The meter is sort of just on your hand. It's, um, it's sort of just there and ready. So basically it takes zero hands to hold it. And then you use your thumb to operate the four-way directional control button that's on the top of the meter to turn it on, take readings, change settings, um, change the modes. Oh, um, wow. Oh, that is so yeah. cool. So the, uh, so the idea is, uh, just to, um, like, I just, yeah, I just wanted to make something that was more, uh, um, I guess ergonomic, you know, a little more user-friendly. Um, it is, uh, it's, it's vertically symmetrical. So the, uh, you can use it on your left or your right hand, like I'm left-handed. So I, um, uh, I, I might want to use it. I mean, I, I probably would use it on my, um, on my left hand, 
Uh, mm. But I can um, see myself if I use it, it would be on my left hand also, simply because yeah. it would be my right hand that would grip the camera. So I'd be able to still have that left hand free that if I needed to. <clears throat> yeah, um, I do actually. I, I do actually. I do wear it on my right as well. Um, depends kind of on the camera because if you are. Mm operating your focus uh or you're, you're operating the lens with your left hand um the meter actually kind of makes more sense to be on your right hand where the grip is mm -hmm. uh, and because it doesn't it doesn't get in the way of holding the camera um you don't have to worry about it um like you can you can pick you know kind of either or um, yeah. you can even actually because you use your thumb you can pinch your camera against your palm with your fingers and use your thumb to operate the control and you don't actually have to uh, like you can you can hold your camera in your hand and operate the meter at the same time all with one hand oh that is so cool so what um so other than i mean again you have the original meter which is a simple reflective meter that's yeah. uh, camera mounted you have the spot meter other than just needing to add that incident metering to um to your lineup what sort of inspired the uh the build of it um the you mean like the the decision to do this sort of um, yeah and kind of more radical ergonomic layout? yeah absolutely um i mean i was just kind of thinking you know it was really just the idea was you know how to not make it the same and how to make it more ergonomic and i i don't really recall how it just sort of popped in my head but i i got the um i just i got that idea um, so I very quickly drew a, uh, a sort of a mock-up and 3D printed just sort of a, a block that was in the shape of what I was imagining. And I bought a piece of fabric from, or bought a piece of elastic um, from the fabric store and just kind of stuck it into the, the side of the 3D print um, and sort of just played around with it. Um, and I, I really liked how it felt. I just it's sort of, it's just sort of this long rectangular block with a, a hooked end on it. And your your index finger goes up into the hooked end, and then you can put two or three fingers through the elastic strap to keep it secured on your on your hand. And you wear you wear it up past the second knuckle of the finger, um, which puts it in a good spot for your thumb to be able to reach the directional control. Yeah. Uh, so everything's controlled just through one. It's it's a single four way button. So you push it up, down, left, or right to do different uh, to to change different things and and um, go through the different uh, options because. Well, well, I call it the incident meter um, in my my uh, my naming scheme of not naming products, <laughs> really any uh, any real name. Um, there, there it it has an incident dome uh, on the top, but it also actually does have a reflective sensor on the front. It's essentially the same sensor and sensor layout as the original shoe mounted meter. Um, so it's about a forty five degree cone field of view. Um, so essentially, you can point the meter. Um, screen up, you point it sort of uh, front forward at the uh, scene and you can take a, a wide angle averaging reading. Um, <clears throat> uh, you can all, and then you can also use the incident dome. Incident dome is where you, you measure the incident ambient, but also you can measure uh, incident uh, flash that way as well. Okay. So um, you can, so you can use it as a, to uh, measure the amount of light falling on your subject. Yeah, you can you can use it. Yeah, you can use it to measure the amount of light falling on the subject, or you can use it to measure the amount of light reflecting off the subject. Nice. Um, so and, it's and having it's it flexible. handheld with um, and being able to carry the camera with you, especially if you're using something like um, a Mamiya M645 or an unmetered Pentax 67, you can just set the camera settings right away. Right. Yeah. You aren't walking back and having to look again. And I can yeah, that can be super handy. Um, the other thing that the incident uh, having an incident dome lets you do is um, because you're measuring the light 
uh, that lands on the meter rather than what's reflected, you can actually measure the, the color temperature as well. So you can use, um, basically I've, I've used a, a color sensor instead of just a simple, uh, more simple sensor. Um, and so um, the meter gives you a computed um, color temperature for the light source. So if there's multiple light sources, it will give you the average. Um, oh, but wow. you could, you can also use it like essentially if you were, if you had say um, LED video lights with uh, adjustable uh, temperatures, um, if they don't have a readout on them, uh, or you want to check and see, you know, how much the readout sort of agrees with the meter, or you've got say um, you're just using light bulbs or you've got lights in the ceiling um, and you want to get a sense of what the color temperature is. Uh, let's say, for example, you you had a light bulb on the ceiling and you also had an LED panel and you want to know what to set your LED panel to because that's the one you can control. <clears throat> Basically, you can take this meter, go over to the light bulb, get a color reading, and then set your light panel accordingly. Oh, wow. So great for even the uh, video creators and uh, digital photographers in the audience. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or or people, I guess, shooting color film too. Uh, they might yeah. want to get their colors um, <clears throat> or they don't want, you know, competing hot and cold uh, light sources, or they mm. are trying to figure out, you know, what they can do if they're using um, relatively natural light, you know, if they, all they have is a little bit of like, lamps to move around or something, then they can uh, can experiment a little bit. Yeah. Um, the other thing that the uh, Incident Dome does, or and is new for, for these meters, my meters, is uh, flash metering. So um, I designed uh, basically from the ground up a flash detecting and measuring circuit. Um, <sighs> So, um, so you can the, pop off your studio strobes and it will automatically take the meter. Exactly. Yeah. It, uh, when it, when it's in flash mode, it's looking for a, a change, uh, a substantial change in, in light intensity. Okay. So it's, yeah, it can trigger, it can be triggered sort of wirelessly through, you know, by optical, uh, flash detection. It also has, um, a flash sync port, which, uh, is a high voltage tolerant flash sync port. Perfect. So you can connect, yeah, you can connect your flashes, uh, that way. So and it's a also, standard PC socket. Uh, it's, it uses a three and a half millimeter uh, socket. Oh, instead, even better. So you can is, um, put in your um, radio trigger. Yeah, that's. I've noticed that's been a big trend in the um, in the flash market, um, going more towards three and a half millimeter rather than the, the standard PC. Um, and it's definitely easier for me um, because it's difficult to find PC sockets um, <laughs> as a readily sourced item. Yeah. But three and a half millimeter sockets are readily available. And the other nice thing too is that you can purchase um, low cost, um, basically like audio extension cables to right. allow you to to rig things together. So you can buy you know, splitters and that sort of thing. You buy nice. a headphone splitter and it works basically the same. It works just as well as uh, as a flash triggering cable. Yeah. Well, um, and that, signal's and that, the same. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, and that signal or that port also gets triggered when the meter detects. Uh, a flash. So, so when the meter sees a flash, it will trigger that port as well. So you can essentially use this to turn. Um, you could use it to turn a uh, a non-optically slaved flash into an optically slaved flash as well. Oh wow! If that was useful to, <laughs> I mean, there's if you're if you're someone who messes around with old, uh, older high voltage flashes, um, that mm -hmm. would be a useful feature. Um, if you don't mess around with older flashes, that's that's less useful because like, most of the modern ones have uh, infrared uh, or or some sort of onboard uh, yeah. flash trigger. Minolta, Nikon, um, Canon, they all yeah. use those, yeah. Um, what else? So, so the so the flash, so it detects a flash, reads flash, um, and actually, so I, I bought a, a Sekonic uh, L858 meter, um, and one of the functions that it has that's really interesting is um, they call it flash duration analysis. So essentially, um, 
their their meter can measure the the length of the flash and it can also measure it measures the intensity during the flash discharge and shows you sort of a graph view and uh, so once i saw that i thought you know i could probably replicate that because i had the all the flash detecting stuff already um that essentially i could uh try to just take a really high speed instantaneous readings of the of the flash brightness and turn that into a turn that into a graphical um display so in the flash mode there is the, uh, options for this flash duration analysis uh, type stuff so it will show you the um, you can set um, two levels so they they call it t times usually um like you might want to know you want basically you, you if you're doing say um high speed photography uh you might want to know the um the time from uh, or how long it takes for the flash to drop to say uh 50% brightness or 10% brightness of a total of total brightness of peak brightness so you can set certain um you can set um uh, there's two different options you can set between 90% down to 10% uh and it will tell you how long it takes the flash to go from um first flash firing to reaching say 50% of peak it'll tell you how long that took in microseconds and it will tell you the effective shutter speed um and then um you can do that for two different times so oh, you can wow. see how long it takes for your flash to roll off and then the other thing it will do is it will show you a graphical uh display of the flash output curve so you can see how long it takes for the flash to come on and how long the roll off is or if you're using um a modern digital flash with reduced uh output power you will see uh you essentially can see the flash cutting itself off before the full discharge and if you set all the way to full power you'll see the full roll-off curve as the flash completely discharges its capacitors um, oh, wow. but the other cool thing that that does uh is because it's recording all of the flash um duration it will and it can do it up to um 20 milliseconds so um if you have multiple flashes that are slaved together um you can check how in sync they're firing because you will see different peaks and you'll see the total intensity that's being recorded changing so you'll 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 notice if flash one is you know on the discharge but and then flash two goes off you will see multiple peaks and valleys on this um on this graphical plot <laughs> wow so so those are i mean those are pretty niche features but um they're it's it's normally you would have had to spend a lot of money to get a meter that can do that Oh, um, so for this price point, it's, it's much more, um, it's much more, uh, it's a lower yeah, cost cost to, uh, enter, um, some of those more advanced functions. Right. And it's all, it, it's what helps you is this, uh, it's a full color. It's a small screen. It's 1.14 inch diagonal screen, but it's a relatively high resolution, uh, full color screen. So nice. I try to make uh, best use of that in those functions, um, to display the, display the, the flash data um in a sort of a clear in a clear way and so what is the price point on the uh on the new meter so it's it's 250 canadian okay yeah that is that is affordable for uh the uh the amount of features that it has yeah and and as far as um you know brand new flash meters like the closest you're going to get is probably the Siconic l308 mm -hmm. um which has a lot of has some of those features but it's uh uh, it's it's quite a bit larger and it's the you know it's they're all the standard um uh ergonomic style um and so you um you're getting you're getting uh, a fair bit more uh, functionality out of this new device um than was previously available on the new market um without spending say i mean that this the like the Siconic 858 i bought i think it cost me 900 dollars and it was used yeah 
Yeah. Um, so there it's, you're, you're spending a, a lot of money to, to unlock some of those advanced features. That one has a spot meter built in, but, um, if you, if you're looking for just some of the flash functions, um, it's, it's a considerable investment to, to go with what previously existed. So I was interested in seeing what I could do in that, in that area. Um, and as I was designing the flash stuff, I thought, you know, it's actually not that hard to, to add this extra, um, functionalities once I had already designed the flash detection and measuring circuitry. Mm, totally. Um, um, but beyond yeah. the meter, you've been doing, um, a lot more. Yeah, I have been actually, sorry. I just wanted to add one more thing. It, yeah. There's also, um, incident and reflective metering mode. Um, perfect. Cine mode. So, uh, instead nice. of entering, if you're, if you're somebody who still shoots motion picture or using, uh, even a digital camera that, um, allows you to set, uh, a shutter angle equivalent and, uh, and frame rate, essentially it takes a shutter speed, um, measurement or rather than setting your shutter speed, it converts it into two separate, um, numbers that you can set. You can set the uh, shutter angle and the frame rate, um, that your camera is operating at, and it will give you the, the, uh, aperture that you need to set your lens to in order to, um, expose correctly for when you're using those two, uh, things. So basically it just, it computes an effective shutter speed based on your, your, uh, shutter angle and frame rate that you've selected. Wow. <laughs> Sounds like the, uh, the uh, one and done meter, like it does everything except for spot metering. Yeah. So. yeah. Short of some of the really tiny, like say Gaussian Digi, uh, was it Digi six? I think it's called. Um, it's it's a it's it's on the small side in terms of um, meters as well. Uh, that Definitely. And it uses uh, two AAA batteries. Um, nice. and it has a us has a usb port for software updates so um mm -hmm. if i if i find more i have a couple ideas for little features to add um so like for example it's, it's got pre-flash ignore you can set up to, to ignore um, um pre-pops on your flashes so if you've got synchronization flashes that fire before your main flash goes off you can set up you can set up to ignore those nice. but i've got some ideas for like i want to add um, cumulative flash metering uh, so it will it will measure you can measure multiple pops and and uh calculate the sum the sum of the light um and things like that so there's a few more things to add and it's got a, a usb port so you can update it yourself once the once the versions become available i can release them and the nice. file can be downloaded and, and uploaded on your meter so you don't have to uh, you're not missing out on any of that stuff and yeah wow <laughs> you 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 are definitely taking this uh taking all this stuff to the absolute next level. It's amazing to see how, how far you've come from that little tiny hot shoe meter. Yeah. To, it's, been uh, a big, it's been a big jump every time. It, it's uh, quite a large step in, uh, in functionality um, yeah. capabilities. Nice. Nice. So what else have you been working on? Like I've seen, I've seen some videos about a, yeah. uh, a machine that definitely has a, uh, um, Definitely looks like it was built on a farm, <laughs> wow. but is, uh, is designed for film development. That's right. Yeah. I've been designing. So I wanted to, um, see if I could come up with a, uh, sort of a low cost automatic film processor. Um, there's, there's quite a number of companies making small desktop, um, film processing machines right now. Um, but the, the big issue with them all is that they're, they're really expensive. Uh, like I think they're prohibitively expensive for somebody who, uh, is not attempting to start like a small film processing business. Um, because they are, 
like they're in the $4,000, $5,000 range. Mm. Um, and I thought to myself, if I could come up with something that was simpler, um, it would be, it would, and, and, and cheaper to make that I could, um, find a little spot below those machines on the market. Um, so what I, what I, the way, what I noticed is the way that a lot of those other machines work is they, they use pumps and valves to transport chemicals to and from the film. And what I realized was, uh, it would be a lot simpler if I made a machine that was um, more of a dip and dunk style. So rather than moving the chemicals to and from the film, I would move the film to the chemicals. Okay. Um, so what I designed was, or what I've designed is essentially uh, a machine that it looks kind of like a crane. There's a there's sort of a mast in the middle, and then there's a rotating head. Um, and the rotating head has an arm on it, which plunges up and down. There's a pair of, of metal rods and a belt driven uh, mechanism that um, basically takes the light proof developing tank, which has light baffles on the top and the bottom and dunks it up and down inside of um, these pots of these stainless steel pots uh, that sit in a circle around the base of the machine. So there's these pads on the bottom. Um, they kind of look like pedals that come out from the bottom of the machine and the pots sit inside of rings that keep them in place and on the bottom of the pads are heaters so um if you're running c41 process the machine can automatically heat the chemicals to the correct temperature nice for the processing um and so this machine basically takes this light proof developing tank which has the film so you all the machines they still have the issue of you have to load the film um in the dark and uh into a light proof tank and then unload it once it's finished and to hang up and dry mm-hmm. um so you you load your film onto the reels uh, in a lightproof environment, like a light, a changing bag or or a dark room. But then once it's inside that lightproof tank, um, you attach it to the machine and it can run through the process and in process daylight. Uh, in daylight. Yeah. So nice. there's six pots. There's six different pots. Um, nice. So you can do a lot of different processes. Like for black and white, that gives mm-hmm. you um, a pre-bath as well as two rinse baths at the end. Perfect. Um, for C41, you can do a pre-bath, which also helps to preheat the the tank so mm-hmm. that it doesn't um, doesn't cool your developer when it gets in the developer. Um, so you got a preheating tank and then developer blicks, or you could do separate bleach and fix that would consume uh, pots three and four. And then you could do, you probably do two rinses and then a stabilizer step once you've finished. You could um, even do um, ECN2 in that with a mm-hmm. pre-bath um, remjet removal, developer, separate bleach and Fix, yeah. yeah. Essentially, any any you know, if you if um like you some of the some of the processes like maybe E six you might have to move a rinse to be manual at the end, but um mm. you can you can automate the the vast majority or the or the entire process depending on how complex of a of a process you're running. So the goal goal of that machine basically was yeah to to reduce complexity by. Uh, removing the transport of chemicals and instead you transport the film. Right. Um, and so um, the goal is to bring that to Kickstarter as a, uh, as an assembly yourself kit, or there'll be two options. There'll be a mostly pre-assembled version and there'll be a assembly yourself version. The assembly yourself version, I'm aiming at 650 US, uh, which is about 900 Canadian currently. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, uh, pre-assembled version will be about 200 us more. Makes sense. Um, yeah. And the machine is designed to use a lot. It's I've, I've focused a lot on, um, using parts that are meant for 3d printers because 3d printers, 
uh, home home three D printers are such a big market right now that the parts mm. for them are produced in the tens of millions. Um, so things like um, specific sizes of motors, specific sizes of stainless steel rods, precision ground rods, um, specific um, belts and pulleys and gears and that sort of thing are all uh, motor controllers are all um, very very common and readily available parts. So I designed the machine to be very um, user. Uh, it will be very user um, maintainable and repairable going into the future because it has uh, extremely common uh, off-the-shelf components. Nice. So how does it handle um, agitation? So it's just so wait, like... Yeah, basically it just it just moves up and down to um, clear the tank out and and okay. like it, so it'll lift it'll lift halfway. The tank drains most of the way in a half lift and then punches um, back down okay. again. So the fluids flow in and out the bottom um, through Perfect. curved curved channels that are in the um, the base of the of the tank. The tank is basically a stainless steel tube with two three printed caps on it. The cap at the top has. Uh, uh, a light trap for air and then the bottom is a set of curved channels that allow solutions to flow in and flow out with relative ease nice. um, it fills and drains in about it can fill or drain in about five seconds oh nice uh, so it's it's relatively quick it's like it's not uh it's about the same speed as as um like hand pouring out of a patterson tank for example okay um and it can fit so one of the limitations of the machine um is uh, I'm limited by um, there's there's two big limitations. One is this this methodology, the dip and dunk method. Um, you have to fully submerge the film. Uh, you don't have the option like in a rotary processor to roll the film through a partially full development tank. Mm -hmm. So because of that, um, I wanted to uh, minimize how much chemicals required to cover the film. Uh, the other problem was uh, locating um, stainless steel pots that could hold the film um, because having those produced um, custom would be pretty expensive. So mm. I found some food serving pots basically that are relatively small and the machine can fit one 120 roll or two 35 millimeter rolls on Patterson okay. reels. So that's, that's not bad. It's, it's not bad. Again, it's, it's meant for, it's, it's targeting a home user and it's targeting mm. the sort of majority market, which is, 35 millimeter and, and 120 are the most are far more popular than yeah um, than large format. Um, I mean, I use my my 235 or 120 Patterson tank more than I use my bigger one that can do 335 or 2120. Yeah, and if it comes down to that, I mean, you can run the machine more than once. Of course, you know, if you if you're somebody who shoots, let's say you go away for a weekend, you shoot 10 rolls. Um, I mean, that I would call that a big a big user, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that means maybe you have to run the machine five times to get it all done, but it's not the end of the world to, to operate the machine um, more than once, right? So being able to cram 10 rolls, like the machine that can run 10 rolls or the machine that can run eight by 10 is is not a great machine for one roll of 35, right? Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, so the other problem was, was trying to keep the, the chemical quantity down. So to cover that two, uh, two rolls of 35, you need one liter of chemicals. Oh, that's not um, bad. So, yeah, that's so that's sort of in line with like the you know the one liter powder kits um, for C forty one or one liter. Um, like generally, one liter is sort of you know you can get you can get away with five hundred milliliters when you're doing a hand tank, but one liter is like a good a pretty good number. Anything more than that, and, and you're you're making a lot of chemical to yeah um, to try to to just to cover the film. So 
so that was the uh, target and it sort of, you know, all, all of what was available and what um, was readily available and what uh, kind of made sense in terms of chemical, chemical use kind of congealed on, uh, on, on a one liter volume. And what's the brain of this? Like, um, can you actually program in specific times? Can it store programs for you? Yeah. So at the top of the, at the top of the mast, there's uh, a non-rotating. So it's, it's, it's above the rotating portion, but it doesn't move it, There's a 2.8 inch full color touchscreen. Uh, and so that screen shows you what the machine's doing, tells you the times and temperatures and that it gives you information, but also that's how you program it. So you can set it up to, you can set up your agitation rate. Um, you set the temperatures you want, you set the, um, you'll be able to set, like you'll be able to program in which, which bin is, or which um, pot is, contains which chemical. There'll be, there'll be a bunch of presets and that sort of thing, but you'll be able to customize um, your development um, processes. So things like agitation, frequency, number of agitations in every, agitation cycle. So say you might want, you know, I don't know, three, three partial lifts every 30 seconds or only one partial lift every 30 seconds or, or whatever you'd like. Mm. Um, and then, uh, or even a constant agitation, if you were really trying to get your time down, um, yep. you could set up a constant agitation process, um, and set the, yeah. So set the temperature, set the, um, the process up. And then the way that you would operate the machine is you pour in your chemicals like so you say you're doing c41 you pour in your room temperature chemicals um you uh, load your film in the dark bag you put your put the developing tank on the end of the arm um and then you pick the process and you say start the machine will heat the chemicals uh and then once they've reached the correct temperature it'll start to run the process oh, wow. it will run through the whole set of six pots and then there's a buzzer on the circuit board so it will it will chime at you to tell you that it's finished. And then you'll just take out your film and, and hang it up to dry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would have been super handy to do ECN processing. Cause that, that was, that was the pain in the butt to, uh, to run through. Hmm. Um, yeah. And I could see it also being useful. Um, if you do like semi stand developing where mm. you're only doing agitations every half hour or something like that. Yep. Um, this will also handle that automatically. Nice. Yeah. Um, and yeah, even constant agitation, like with a 510 pyro mm -hmm. sounds like it's, <laughs> it sounds really cool. And yeah, about how and much space does it take up? Like how big is this thing? So it's, it's, it takes sort of a round area. Um, it's about, um, 14 inch sort of footprint, uh, circle, circular footprint. So it's, it's not, uh, it's not small, but it's small smaller than I thought. A, it's small enough to put on a countertop. Yeah. Um, and um yeah it, so it uh but and then it's about 18 or 20 inches tall oh uh, wow smaller than i thought yeah it doesn't it's and it's it's pretty light uh when it's empty of course because it, it holds you know six liters of it's got six liters of chemicals on it when it's yeah. fully um kitted out when it's empty uh it weighs about eight ten pounds so it's it's fairly light you could put it um you know under a uh in, in a cupboard i think well yeah, you know, under under kitchen sink cover or something like that should fit. Yep. If you've got a small place, uh, you can tuck it away when you're not using it. Um, it runs on. Um, it's got a. It runs on 24 volts. It uses a 24 volt wall adapter, like a laptop style wall adapter. Okay, nice. Um, and you don't need running water to operate it. Um, you can like you can 
you, uh, so that the, the pots, they sit inside these, they sit inside of rings when they're on their little pad. So they, they don't fall off. Um, but you can just pick them up and take them out to, to rinse them. Uh, you pull them out to pour them back into the bottles and, and rinse them out and everything. So you, um, you don't have to worry about like moving the machine when it's full of chemicals or anything like that. So you put it wherever you got it. So even if you're like, if you're working in a room where you don't have running water or you're in the sink, um, you can, you can just move the pots around by hand without any issue. Um, like I've been using it in the, in the, in the lab and I just get a gallon of tap water and then I've got two one liter bottles with the developer and, and fixer in it. And then I've got a bottle of Kodak uh, indicating stop bath. I just syringe out some, you know, 15 milliliters or whatever and put in the, uh, the bath, uh, the stop bath water. Um, nice. So you can operate it. You can operate it without running water with relative ease too. Oh, that is, that is so cool. And you've, you've described two incredibly complexes, <laughs> complex pieces of um, film photography equipment, but that's not all you've been doing. I just saw recently something that, it's a little more small. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I, so you're you're talking about the 35 millimeter film puller. So I, yeah. when I was working, I've always had this problem. I don't know why I've never thought of actually trying to solve it. Um, when I'm putting the um, strips of film into the, uh, I use a print file brand um, mm-hmm. archival sleeves. Um, so, you know, I, I cut my frames into five. I cut my strips into five and, and put them in there. And... Um, I, I do frequently have them. They get stuck. Um, yep. They'll get snagged uh, as you're trying to push them in because you're trying to push a piece of film. And um, sometimes, especially if the humidity is off, like if it's particularly humid or maybe you tried to cheat and you, you didn't let your film dry like 100%, like you can, you can scan it, you know, when it's still just a little damp. Um, but trying to put it in the sleeves when it's, when it's still ever so slightly damp mm. is really, really hard. So. Um, the little corners bend and they the just, corners gets yeah. yeah and they dig into the walls they'll get stuck in there um so i i had previously tried to use like a little metal hook and i would reach in there and try to grab it and, and that was a bit of a pain and i realized well why i don't really 3d print a thing for this so i drew it was on monday morning i drew a little puller and printed it out and uh and by the end of the day they were they were for sale <laughs> it uh came around pretty quick because nice. i can print them i can print them at home um, but essentially it's a little 3d printed um, flat stick it's about seven inches long and at one end it has uh, sort of a t-shape uh, and on the ends of the t are two little nibs that stick up and they're they're slightly swept backwards they have sort of a um, oh, they hook into the sprocket holes yeah they have a they're they're hooked on the end ever so slightly so oh, you slide this wow. you bring your film you take the film strip you put it at the start of the um, print file the slot that you're going to put it in on the the print file and then you go in through the other side and you grab it and you pull it through and then that way um the because you're pulling it obviously you're not pushing flexible film but also the um because you're because you're pulling it rather than trying to push it um from the film side uh you're not touching the the actual surface of the film you're just catching the very end of it and pulling it through uh and because you're pulling it uh and you've got you've got two points of contact with the film you can you have a little bit of control over the film so the corners don't get caught because the thing i always found with my with my old metal hook trick was the metal hook i was only getting it on one one sprocket hole on the on one end so it would have a habit of the other side would get snagged because it would be pulling it to the side so this pulls it right in the middle and lets it just slide right through um 
So even if they're a little sticky, it's, you can still do it without any trouble. Nice. And you can do it without having to like put it like, I know some people to put it on a flat table and try to slide it in, right. try to keep everything flat. And if your film's like really cupped, it can just be difficult in general, but you just get the end into the, into the sleeve and you can hook it with this guy and slide it through the rest of the way. Pull it through. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Necessity I, is the mother uh, of invention, eh? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how I pretty much do everything is I, I come, I have a problem. I assume other people will have that problem too. Yeah. So. Oh, well, it definitely sounds like you are super busy and are just creating like mad. So thank you so much for taking some time and uh, coming back on the show. Um, where can people purchase um, if if they're new to the podcast and haven't listened to us before and haven't heard you before? Where is the best place where they can find all these things? Yeah, if you want to see stuff that's just regularly going on, uh, Raveni Labs on Instagram is a good place to see the new stuff that's going on. Um, and then to order stuff, you can go to Raveni-Labs.com uh, and check out the store page on there. It's got all the light meters. It's got all the accessories for them. Um, there is also a um, uh, early earlier last year released a um, a wireless um, shutter release. Shutter release, yeah. Um, so it's essentially your your standard mechanical cable release, but it's uh, operated with a motor, nice. and you, you and you get a little key. There's a little key fob, and you can trigger it from up to 100 meters away. There's no obstacles in the way you can trigger it at 100 meters. Nice. Uh, a little little radio control key fob. So. Um, that came about because people were interested in doing, or someone mentioned to me they were trying to do selfies using. Um, so I think he was trying to do. A, he was trying to take a selfie of himself in a tree, and he was <laughs> trying to use um, the pneumatic bulb um, trigger. Oh yeah, and so he had a hose work. in the. Well, he had this hose in the picture, and yeah, and he and it was too long to use a, a self timer. Yeah. So he was looking for something, and so I uh, I said, oh, I can make that, and um, that's that's also available right now. Um, so there's. There's yeah, there's always lots of things going on, uh, and new things coming. So, well, we we look forward to uh, we look forward to hearing more about uh, about your mad science. <laughs> Great. Well, I appreciate you uh, having me on, so I can let everybody know what's going on. Yeah, and you can definitely find the links to uh, Raveni Labs website and uh, Instagram in our episode notes. Um, again, thank you so much, Matt. And um, until next time, folks, get out there, stay safe, make something awesome happen. Great. Thanks for listening.